Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you today, you can find James chapter 3. James chapter 3, as we spend one more time in James this year before we celebrate our Lord's incarnation next week in our special services. We're talking about keeping it real, and we're talking about keeping it real as it pertains to wisdom today. And there's a ton of content, and I'm going to try to give it to you, hopefully not in a fire hydrant kind of a way, but wisdom, get wisdom. That's what we're told to do in the Bible anyway. So um, I love to memorize scripture that sort of the proverbially pops out when I'm reading my Bible, when something just, just sort of slays me, spiritually speaking. I'm convicted by it or I'm encouraged by it. And I, I've done that for most of my Christian life. In fact, it was 40 years ago, 40 years ago almost exactly, that I made my way down to this area and went to Bible college. And, um, and uh, I, w- I, w- I got a job at UPS, at United Parcel Service, and I was working as a sorter. And if you're a sorter, you got to know every zip and uh, city in the state and across the country. And so it's a lot of memorizing, and memorizing is one thing, doing it is another, okay? Because if you were a sorter, you'd have hundreds and thousands of boxes coming at you, and you'd grab a box, the label would be up, and then you'd either put it up here, down below, or behind you, there'd be several chutes, and the boxes could weigh between one and 70 pounds, and that's the way the entire night would go. But I loved it, because I was young, I was a lot stronger, and I was up for the task, or at least I thought I was anyway. About three weeks into it, it uh, was a morning I was reading in Proverbs 12, and I read the, the first verse, and I was just enamored by one word. The verse goes like this, um, he who loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's the word that stood out to me. Some of you won't even let your kids say this word, but that's the word. And I thought it was so cool, I memorized it. Now I knew the verse. That very night at UPS, while I was sorting, I was right next to a, a guy who was, had been a sorter for years. He was just like liquid doing, he just, and I'm dropping boxes and I'm all over the place, but getting better. And I asked him he, how, I, how he thought I was doing. And he looked right at me while he was sorting. He goes, well, your sorting really stinks. And... Uh, I cannot tell you how upset I was in that moment. I did not deserve that comment. My sorting had, well, actually it really stunk, but I thought it was better than he obviously did. And I bristled inside thinking, I can't believe he'd say that. That was not very encouraging. And, and, uh, and then I thought of the scripture I'd memorized that morning. He who loves instruction loves knowledge. And he who hates correction is stupid. Since then, over the last 40 years, and on countless occasions, I have listened to believers, that is, followers of Jesus, which is many of you, claim their openness to correction, openness to criticism, openness to reproof, rebuke, only to be confronted and get your dander up, defend yourself, and do everything but acknowledge the truth of what's just been 
said to you. You know what that is? That's stupid. That's what that is. And we're talking about wisdom here. It's certainly not wise. I remember years ago, one of our deacons, we were talking about somebody who was just, he was creating a fiasco wherever he went. And one of the deacons goes, well, you can't fix stupid. Well, maybe not, but God can. Can I get an amen to that? That's when stupid becomes wise. And so with that, one of the great wisdom passages in the Bible that we've come upon, James chapter three, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in that beautiful expression here, meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, and where it all begins in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. For this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But, what a contrast. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. If you have a New King James, my favorite expression, it's willing to yield. And please write that in there if you're doing that in your Bible, because that's the better translation. It's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's how the context finishes anyway. Just real quickly, right out of the shoot, I want to give you three general truths about wisdom. Because the Bible is replete with comments about wisdom. But let's just say it. wisdom is, first of all, it is timeless. In his book, Critical Biblical Theory, Christopher Watkins writes, if the principles that served me well yesterday are, are useless today, there's not much point in wisdom. And he's right, because they're timeless. Wisdom, God's wisdom is timeless. It's also ageless. We often associate wisdom with age, do we not? And I, I mean, the Bible does that as well. Job chapter 12 and verse 12 says that in essence, it says this. Wisdom is with the aged aged, and understanding within length of day. So there is that. And you would certainly hope those of us who are older have gained at least a modicum of wisdom. But we've all met foolish people in their older age who don't grow and develop in wisdom. So it's not necessarily connected to wisdom or to age. Now, I, I got away with some friends this last week to Branson. And if you're getting older and you want to feel young again, go to Branson. Literally walked into one of the shows, looked around, put my hand on the usher. I said, the youth group just showed up. But James says nothing about age. He says nothing about age. We often said that man is wise beyond his because wisdom is not monopolized in somebody who's older, who has snow on the top of his roof, so to speak. 
We have a couple of Proverbs, Proverbs 9 and verse 10. I'll just throw those out at you here. For the fear of the Lord is the what? That's where it starts. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 4 and verse 7 in the NIV puts it like this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. So that's the title of the message. Get wisdom. So it's timeless. It's ageless. And it's also... Um, multifaceted. And by that I mean wisdom includes, as I understand, it includes knowledge, understanding, and experience. Those three things make up wisdom. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So we, all, we all know, I, we should know, that just because you're smart doesn't make you wise. Most of us have met smart people who are anything but wise, right? But on the other hand, it does take knowledge. Wisdom does incorporate knowledge. It's what you do with that knowledge. So there's knowledge, there, then there's understanding. Understanding is the differentiation between knowledge and understanding is simply this. Knowledge is you got facts. Understanding is the ability to, uh, to translate uh, meaning from those facts, okay? It's one thing to pass the test, it's another thing to do what you, what you just passed or comprehend. So there's knowledge, there's understanding, and then there is experience or application. That's what James has been after all along, right? Be doers of the word, not what? Not hearers only because you deceive yourself, right? And that's the idea of the word conduct uh, in, this, in verse 13. He, he says, let him prove it by the, his conduct. Let him show by good conduct that... What he's, being, what he's doing or she's doing is in the meekness of wisdom. And that's why, let me just add one more thing. That's why you need more than the book of Proverbs. If all you do is read the book of Proverbs, you're gonna be unbalanced when it comes to wisdom. Because Proverbs carries, it's very black and white. If I do this, my life's gonna go well. If I don't do this, my wife's, my life, my wife, well, might, might be my wife too, won't go well. But it's sort of black and white, Right? But then you read the same author writes Ecclesiastes and he flips those Proverbs on their heads, so to speak. So there are several wisdom books in the Bible like Proverbs. So you need that, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon, and the book of James, right? These are all wisdom booklets. As again, Watkins says, Proverbs is true, but it's not the whole truth. And by, and by the way, we're gonna be putting out in 2024 uh, uh, a verbal Bible reading uh, supplement for you uh, who would like to latch on to it. And we're going to be reading through the wisdom literature so that we can be balanced in our understanding of literature. So how can I summarize this? So it's, it's knowledge, understanding, and experience. It's like, it's like uh, think, think Neapolitan ice cream, okay? Because it's not Neapolitan, it's just vanilla and chocolate, or if it's strawberry and chocolate, you got to have all three, right? You got to have the strawberry, you got to have the vanilla, you got to have the chocolate. That makes it Neapolitan. And knowledge, understanding, and experience is what constitutes wisdom. So, and he says as he introduces this, this is how we, we show it with good conduct uh, uh, that our works are being done in the, I love this expression and at the end of verse 13, in the meekness of wisdom. Uh, I know some, uh, meekness is not a word we should run from. Jesus 
literally described himself that way, right? Uh, so what is meekness in this context as it comes to wisdom? Here, here is my own personal operational definition of what wisdom is. It speaks of being meekness, rather, I mean. Meekness is, is being in full control of information and how to apply it in a given circumstance. That's what it is. Meekness is being in full control of information and how to apply it, having the ability to apply it in a given circumstance. It literally means gentle strength. We've probably, many of you have probably heard it described as strength or uh, uh, strength under control. That's what it is. Now, James recognizes two types of wisdom. There's wisdom from below and there's wisdom from above. First, he, ta- he tackles the wisdom from below. The question, of course, is am I pers- what am I pursuing? Because I guarantee in this group, many of you are not pursuing wisdom from above, but that should be the goal here, right? So first of all, let's look at the wisdom from below. Again, that's in verses 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, sensual, or unspiritual, or natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder, every vile practice. So we're gonna, we're gonna help you understand this a little bit. We're talking about wisdom from below here. So some of you are pursuing, let's just call it wisdom. You won't forget that. And here it is in this passage. Selfish ambition. The Greek word literally means party spirit. It literally pictures a politician canvassing for votes. That's pretty contemporary, isn't it? You know, if you're canvassing for kudos, you're not just proud, you're stupid. This is wisdom. This is, you know, this is why... Solomon wrote, let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. And then really, this is where he gets down. Verse 15, he describes wisdom that percolates from below as earthly, as unspiritual, and as demonic. You know, theologians like to remind us that we have three enemies, and they really line up, don't they? We have, our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, there you go. Earthly. What does that mean? It just means earthbound. It means that's, that's really where the word secular comes from. Something that's secular is God-less. It doesn't mean it's just in, terribly inherently evil. It just means you just compartmentalize God right out of it. If it's earthly, you have compartmentalized God right out of it. Your motivations are earthbound. You're doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus said, such that, you know, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts. Thieves can't get in and steal it. Somebody just, I just thought of this. Somebody just told me in the last service that, uh, that they had a really nice pair of gloves stolen out of their car last Thursday, and so they went to our they went to our our tech guy who went and found 
the camera right on his car, could not find anybody breaking in and stealing his gloves, but the only car next to him was mine. I said, dude, I didn't take him. If you're laying up treasures on earth, they get moth, rust, corrupts, breakthroughs, and steals them. This is why Paul says to Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. If you do only set your mind on things on earth, you're earthly, that's it, it's worldly. It's sensual or uh, unspiritual. It, that word is the word sukakos. We get our word psychology from this word. It means to be natural. It's the very word that Paul uses in Corinthians when he says the natural, the sukakos, the unspiritual man does not understand the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because spiritual things are spiritually understood. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Natural wisdom seeks to know only oneself. This is the wisdom of Skinner and Maslow and Freud. It offers no answers. It just identifies issue. It's like, it's like Nick Long, who's in the room here this, this, this morning. It's like Nick Long, who's battling cancer. It's like him going in and have the doctor look at the PET scan and say, well, you got cancer, you know. Okay, next. What? How about an answer? How about let's do something about this? That's the wisdom of this world. It can't do anything about the answers that it, or rather about the problems that it identifies. Worse than that, today modern psychology embraces feelings and affirms sinful choices. Would you agree? Carl Truman, in his book, Strange New World, uh, tells us that a generation ago, if you went into the doctor and you said, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, you know, he'd refer you to a psychologist uh, for treatment so, so, so that that person's feelings that is, uh, would, would line up with his God-given body. Today, you're more likely to be told that your body needs to line up with your feelings. And you're probably gonna get prescribed some hormone treatments. This is the reason why Hosea told us in the Old Testament, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And this is all the wisdom of this world, this percolating wisdom from beneath. And, and, he, and then he finishes by saying it's demonic. Now, this is not a, a descending wisdom. It's an ascending wisdom. It's not descending from heaven. It's ascending from hell. But it is descending in order, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And Satan is the king of deception. Can I get an Amen. And deception, by definition, looks real, looks true, sounds right. Remember, it was the Corinthians who Paul says they were the most knowledgeable. They had the gift of knowledge. These, these guys were oozing with knowledge. And yet, he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, here's what he says here. He says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. You're gullible. 
even though they're knowledgeable. That's why we say you can't just say it's Neapolitan. It's not just knowledge. Knowledge doesn't make you wise. They had knowledge, but they were suckers for the culture of that day's deceptions. And Satan is a deceiver. That's what he does. Later on in the passage, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. So two things Satan does, if you look at the end of verse 16, two things Satan loves to foment. He loves to jack up. He loves to fuel. And that is jealousy and selfish ambition. And why does he do that? The end of the verse tells us because it creates disorder. It creates division. It creates infighting. It creates disunity. Evil. In fact, every vile practice. We shouldn't be surprised that these things happen. The Apostle Paul and Jude, our Lord's half-brother, predicted that it would happen in our generation. Paul said to the Ephesians in Acts 20, when I'm gone, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. Have you read that? And then Jude who really wanted to write, quote, about our common salvation, the Spirit of God stopped him in his tracks and said, you need to write about contending for the faith, for evil men and seducers have crept in unaware. I often think about that here, and our elders do, and we pray over that as we pray over you. Because evil men and seducers will constantly try to creep in and corrupt either with their former morality or doctrine or just this desire to worm their way in and cause disruption and unity. Not long ago, we had somebody creep in. They hadn't even been a member for very long, but they attempted to create disorder. And praise God, we got after it. But this is all part and parcel to wisdom that comes from beneath. Wisdom. Don't be wisdom. Then there's wisdom from above, and I couldn't wait to get here. And there's a lot here, a lot here. But I love this. In fact, the New Testament Greek scholar Douglas Moo says that the, that the way the Greek is here, it's, there's, a rhythmic, there's a rhythmic element to it so that the readers in the, in, the, in the first century that read Greek, like you and I read English, would have seen the rhythm in this and would have memorized Verses 17 and 18, because they just flow together. The wisdom that's from above is first pure. And then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's it's sincere. It's, It's not hypocritical. But look at it. Let's look quickly at these. It's pure. What a contrast to the wisdom from beneath, right? It's pure. There's nothing dark or shady about God's wisdom. It's pure. And so you ask yourself, how is your mind right now? How are your motives right now? Are they pure? That's wisdom from above. It's peaceable. Remember, it was Paul that said in Ephesians 4, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He said to the Romans, he says, as much as depends on you, live at peace among yourselves. The idea, of course, is it's not possible always, but you ought to be knocking yourselves out to be peaceable, amen? 
The situation I referred to a little bit earlier was just the opposite, where this, this individual kind of crept in and they, they attempted to create friction, disharmony, and alarm. I admire, I admire those with the ability to diffuse a potentially volatile situation with the wisdom of voice, demeanor, mannerism, coupled with truth. It's a gift. I love it when I see it on display. I, I don't think it's a, it's no secret that police officers, and we have some, we have police officers in our midst. Police, police officers are often called, well, you know what they're called, don't you? Peace officers. Why is that? Because most of what they do is de-escalate. Most of what they do is bring peace to a potentially volatile situation. It's the most important thing they do. They're not pulling their guns out all the time like in the movies. They're de-escalating. And God has called his people to be spiritual peace officers in as much as depends on us. And then it's gentle. I love this word. It's a really, really cool word. I use just a handful of times in the New Testament. It's very insightful. Listen to this. Listen carefully. This word conveys the idea of relax. Listen to this. This word gentle conveys the idea of relaxing an overly strict standard in order to keep the spirit of the law. Man, I wish I knew this about 30 years ago because I was so legalistic back in those days. I was so restrictive back in those days. I just gave no wiggle room. Everything was black. Everything was white. I got news for you. Not everything is black and not everything is white. There's a whole lot of gray and God has called all of us to be wise in these moments. It's a, this word is the same word as used in Philippians when Paul says, let there be reasonableness amongst you. It's a great word. Recently, our church wrestled over, uh, uh, that is our elders wrestled over a, uh, a policy that our church has. It's a good policy. It's a, it's a rock solid policy. It's not Bible, but it's a great policy. And, and I would argue that 95% of the time we should implement this policy. But this was a certain circumstance where a particular time came for reasonableness. And we let reasonableness bend the policy. Don't ask me what it was, by the way. I'm not gonna give it to you. But it's a beautiful word. And then the next one is sort of a continuation. It says, open to reason. You see that in your Bible? If you have a new King James, it says, willing to yield. I love that. That's, that's the better translation in my mind. Willing to yield. It's an extension of what it means to be gentle or reasonable. And it's much, much more than that. It's way more than that. We, we yield. Listen, think about it for a moment. When do you yield? When do we yield? Not wield, yield. When, wield. When do we yield? We yield when we're wrong. We yield when we're moving too fast. We yield when we lack peace. Or at least we should be yielding, right? That's when we should be yielding. We've all seen a yield sign, right? What does a yield sign tell you? When you see a yield sign, what is it telling you? What is that sign telling you? I think we have a yield sign to put up here. But uh, is it telling you to stop? Not necessarily. Is it telling you to go? Not necessarily. It's very subjective, isn't it? 
When you come up on a yield sign, you're forced to ask yourself some questions here. I need to slow down. I need to look both ways. I need to advance with caution, right? John Leonard, our missionary to Brazil, he's here this morning. Before he got all shot up, I was down there with him. We were down, and they drive different down in Brazil. I'm just telling you that right now. And we were going up, coming up to a yield sign. He blows right through that yield sign. I'm like, whoa. He, he's a, he looks over, he goes, Pat, down here, yield means go and stop means slow. I thought, whoa, up there, it'll kill you. Not long ago, a friend of mine and I blew through a yield sign, spiritually speaking. We were dealing with a certain individual, and both of us got those senses that, eh, don't move too fast. And we did. And let's just put it this way. We, um, we ended up with a spiritual fender bender. And that's because we ignored the yield sign. And, and by the way, this is what Paul meant when he said in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You ever read that? That's the only time that word rule ever appears in the New Testament. And it literally means to, to play the role of an umpire. That's what it means. And what does an umpire do? An umpire makes difficult calls. They make the call, right? And he's saying that the peace of Christ is the ruler, is the umpire in your life. And I think David might be next to Jesus, the greatest example in the whole Bible on being willing to yield. He wrote in Psalm 141, he said, let the righteous strike me. It'll be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It will be like excellent oil. Let not my head refuse it. Have you ever read that? So what did David have in mind when he said that? Do you think he had in mind the time when he was in the cave and, and was urged to kill Saul and just cut his robe. But even cutting his robe, his conscience got to him. Remember that? Do you think he had in mind the time out of pride he, he, had, he had his general go and count the number of troops that he had to see how strong he was? Remember that? And his conscience bothered him again. Did he have in mind the time after committing adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan came and said, you're the man. Do you remember what he said right after that? He said, I've sinned. And he wrote Psalm 51. Did he have in mind the time when Shimei, there's a word you don't come up with very often in her name. As he was leaving town, his son Absalom has taken over the kingdom. He's fleeing the town. And one of the relatives of Saul, Shimei, is throwing rocks at him and, saying, ah, and cursing him. And one of David's men says, let me take his head off, this little wag. Let's take his head off. And David said, don't do it. I probably have it coming to me. When I read stories like that in the Bible about David, I think to myself, when people say, what made him a man after God's own heart? That's what made him a man after God's own heart. His willingness to yield, to be sensitive to God and to move only as God would have him move. And even when he didn't, to confess that. Then James says, wisdom is not just gentle and open to reason or willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits. These aren't words, these are deeds 
This is the idea of the word conduct back in verse 13. James doesn't really care about what you're sticking in your head. He wants to know what's coming out of your life. And when I read this, I have lots of people that come to my mind, like Becca Roder in our Hartford and Moy ministry, like the Schwarzendrubers, like Lori Tashner over here. I mean, because he who wins souls is wise. Amen? And so many more of you. I see mercy. I see good fruit. And I say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. That's wisdom. It's impartial. This is the only time this word ever appears in the New Testament. It literally means indistinguishable. That's what the word means. Indistinguishable. Which means that in wisdom, we don't, wisdom doesn't, doesn't consider looks, ethnicity, power, personality, or social status. It just doesn't. It's impartial. It's indistinguishable. And it's sincere. Some of your Bibles say without hypocrisy, which is actually the better translation because the Greek word is hypocrisy with a negative in front of it. It's not, hypocr- it's not hypocritical. And we have a different word. A positive word is authentic. We love that word, which, by the way, one dictionary listed as the number one word this last year is authentic. Why do we love things that are authentic? Because we hate phonies. Amen? Nobody likes a phony. And if this kind of wisdom is issuing from your life the wisdom from above, real wisdom, then verse 18 comes into play in a harvest of righteousness. The harvest is the result, right? Is sown, so it had to take place months earlier, that harvest, right? Or to get a harvest, in peace by those who love peace. It's a bumper harvest. So here's how I want to conclude this morning. With a checklist. I mean, it's Christmas time. You got that checklist. Most of your list is probably checked off by now. Most of you, unless you're like me. But you've checked all kinds of... Let's, let's look at a wisdom checklist. Let's, first of all, look, let's look at wisdom's checklist, okay? And each of you really carefully think to yourself right now. Are you jealous? Are you jealous? Are you a jealous person? Are you selfish? Is everything about you? Because that's wisdom. Are you divisive? Do you tend to fight over everything and look to not be peaceable but divisive? Are you worldly? Is everything about your life just grounded right here? You're not setting your mind on things above. If so, that's wisdom. That's stupid. That's, that's coming from somewhere else, and it's not from heaven. So let's look at wisdom's checklist. It was a big one, but let's just ask ourselves a couple of simple questions. Are you pure? Where is your mind right now? Where is your life right now? What do you meditate upon? What are you doing? Are you peaceable? Are you one of those who would diffuse a situation or fuel it? Are you gentle? Are you gentle? Are you willing to relax a policy that's not 
chapter and verse in your own life, in your own way of doing things? Are you real, relax that for the cause of Christ and the benefit of others? Are you open to reason? That is, are you willing to yield? When God comes at you through himself, his word, a song, a fellow believer, you get confronted on something you're doing, the direction you're going, and you know it's wrong, you see the yield sign, you blow through it, or do you say, okay, I need to hit the brakes here? It might be you need to ask for forgiveness, like David. Are you merciful and fruitful? Because James is asking you to keep it real. Is it coming out? Are you impartial, paying no mind to the things that you are naturally given toward when it comes to another individual? And then lastly, and this is the whole theme of our study of James, right? Keeping it real. Are you real? Are you authentic? There are a number of you that are here and some of you watching online as well that are not wise You don't know wisdom because you don't know Jesus. And after all, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen? The wise men, the wise men came giving gifts. Jesus came to give a treasure. The treasure of himself. If you've never seen yourself as a sinner separated from God and the reason you don't walk in wisdom and you've never looked upon Jesus as the one who died for you to give you the greatest treasure of all, eternal life, and praise be to God for his indescribable gift, right? If you've never been there, trust him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and you'll be able to hook into wisdom from above. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wisdom from above, for our Lord Jesus, who is and was and ever will be the very embodiment of wisdom itself. And we pray for those who have never experienced wisdom from above because they've never known the Lord Jesus. And if that's you, dear friend, humble your heart right now. Confess your sin. Turn to Christ and be saved. Especially if you're one who's utterly earthbound in all of your motivations. That's just telltale for not knowing God. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you and love you. We don't want to be wisdom. We want wisdom. Not from beneath but from above that is pure that is peaceable that is gentle that is willing to yield that's full of mercy and good fruits a wisdom that's impartial and sincere and Lord we know then when we have that kind of wisdom then you will give us an abundant harvest because we've sown in peace. In this Christmas season, Lord, as we draw so much of our attention 
to our Lord Jesus. And we think of great stories like the wise men who came bearing gifts. Help us to be enthralled by the irony that they were giving gifts to the one who would give them treasure. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.